it was like talk radio, but on TV. And so we decided we were going to um, make these readings of popular culture. And the idea behind a paper tiger is that Mao said imperialism was a bean curd tiger, bless you, or a paper tiger. And that it was scary and big when you were far away from it, but if you got up really close, it was easy to dismantle and to get behind, to take apart. And so that's what we did. We just recorded people sitting there. We'd like cut paint backdrops and things. And they'd talk about how newspapers were, you know, um, well, Altice, I would say, interpolating their audience, were creating their audience. So if you look at, I don't know, your, you know, Vogue magazine or something, it's presuming an audience. It's presuming and creating a very wealthy, white, skinny girl audience, right? So it, we talked about how that works, and then we got broader. I was in South Africa. I made one um, about the Weekly Mail, which was this amazing paper that, because you'd be banned from printing certain words or printing names or saying the dates of strikes and things like that, the newspaper would get around that by saying on the front, do not strike on Tuesday. And so then everybody knew that was the strike. But they hadn't said, they hadn't encouraged the strike. There was a symbol, this little stick figure, that meant to free the children from prison, which just doesn't even fit in our heads, right? Like, why are children in prison anyway? But this little symbol meant free the children, and it was banned. You weren't allowed to put it anywhere. So they'd say, you know, do not publish this banned symbol, and they'd put that on the front of their paper. Mm -hmm. They were totally brilliant. Um, and so we did one about that. So sometimes it was about mainstream media, and sometimes it was to amplify or lift up alternative approaches. Um, and the important thing about it for me was that it was collective and collaborative, and that's still what I love most about um, making movies, is getting to get inside my head and mix it with what's inside someone else's head and do the work. And one thing that I love that, um, what was the name of your film? Yeah. The Big Queer Failure. The Big Queer Failure film, <laughs> which was so great. The other night, one thing in our conversation afterwards that they said was that they were sort of daunted by the end credits on films sometimes because it suddenly it looks like there's hundreds and hundreds of people that are all working together and totally aligned and in sync and know their jobs and do it. And, and that is the end result, but to me, that's the be and in the beginning, I don't know who all those people are going to be. So I always just, you know, you could do it all by yourself, but the beauty, I think, of film is that you get to say to a camera person this, and, or you can have any one of those roles. Like, there's so many great roles, and you don't have to be the producer or the director or the camera person. The editor has huge creative power and influence. And so, skip ahead from my, there I am in this collective in Paper Tiger television, and the AIDS crisis is ravaging our city and the rest of the world. And I'd just gotten out of college, I'd moved to New York City, and there was a group called ACT UP. How many people have heard of ACT UP? Some, but it's interesting. It's, you know, at the time we thought everybody would know, and now I teach classes in universities, and nobody knows. <clears throat> we, um, but it was a huge group of activists who were doing direct service to change not only the stigma, but to in, um, fight for more research, treatment, 
and everything. I mean, there was so much of everything was wrong. Housing wasn't available to people with AIDS. There were not enough beds. Um, we did things at the National Institutes of Health, the Food and Drug Administration, the Center for Disease Control. We'd go to Maryland and D.C. and do demonstrations. We did demonstrations at the um, Democratic and Republican conventions. We were just trying to get attention, but there were very artistic, creative people involved, and so it was eye-catching, and people took a lot of pictures, and so we got, I think, more press than we might have otherwise. And within that group, there were all these little cells, sort of little affinity groups. And my best friend, Ray Navarro, and I started one called, um, it was a video collective, because there were a few of us who had these big video cameras. And so we started a collective called um, Damned Interfering Video Activist Television, mm -hmm. and it shortens to Diva TV. And we made press passes, because we realized you'd get to the event, and you know, the demonstration, and the, the cops would let some people through and not others, and then, you know, press passes, at least in the U.S., are self-issued. So <coughs> we made ourselves press passes, that's a Diva TV, and on the back it told you how to make your own press pass. They had our pictures <laughs> on them. And we would just be like, we have our press pass, and we'd go in. Or we'd more likely be in the demonstration getting arrested. There's footage of us at different times, actually, you'll see it. Keep your loves off my body that I'm going to show later. There's a moment. She's using a Super 8 film camera, but when, at one point Zoe's filming. She gets arrested and she hands the camera, and then you see her getting arrested and put into the, because the person just turns the camera around. Um, so there we were in ACT UP. We did everything collectively. Unfortunately, we shot sometimes on VHS tapes, and once we were done, we'd rewind them and shoot again. <laughs> Over the same tape, so now you know when we've digitized them, we find that you know a shoot will go and then it'll end, it'll get all scratchy and weird, and then this whole other thing will start up. But we just didn't have we didn't have a lot of materials. We certainly didn't have this endless digital capacity. Um, and then we we made three 30-minute tapes, and we made a lot of shorter tapes. We had established ourselves for three reasons basically, which I'm going to look at so I don't. Wrong. Um, one was that we, the imagery, the mainstream imagery of people with AIDS was totally isolated, lonely, sick, dying, you know, emaciated, um, horrific. And we wanted everyone in ACT UP to realize how beautiful and strong and sad and eager and powerful and in love, they all really were, because we're all much more complicated than the way the mainstream media is going to represent us. Um, the other reason was that we wanted to counter the mainstream media, and we provided for the news sometimes footage that wasn't, um, you know, their outsider view with one interview guided by a leading question, but instead was sort of what we were doing, our insider view, our perspective, and all of our different voices. Um, and then um, the last reason was sort of in the vein of the civil rights newsreels. And it was to make sure that we had this documentary, this archive, for later. And now that it's 30 years later, um, you know, the cocktail that made it so a lot of people could live, could live came out in 1996. So, up until that point, it was really still a pretty terminal 
acute people were dying left and right. And in 1996, in urban centers and places that had access to the resource and the medication, that slowed down overnight. Um, so we have this footage and all these new films. We were there and um, How to Survive a Plague. Did anyone see that? That is a lot of footage that Ray and I shot in ACT UP. And it sh shows one group's relationship to ACT UP. There's another one called ACT UP Fight Back Fight AIDS that uses a lot of the footage. So those were the reasons we did it. We have, um, we would just, we, as our collective, our small collective that, you know, you didn't, wasn't tight walls. It was like whoever showed up at a meeting was in the Diva TV collective. And if they shot, if they had access, some of us worked in video. Um, so we let, you know, people work at night on the editing machines. And we just said, whatever people bring in on this day, we'll put in a, in one film, and that'll be the film. So we made one about City Hall. We did a demonstration at City Hall, especially because our mayor, Ed Koch, well, we were focused on a lot of things, but he, he wasn't um, putting money towards anything in the city, education or housing, things like that. So people picked different things to talk about. We blocked the Brooklyn Bridge. We made this demonstration. A lot of us were arrested. That one had the dubious distinction of being when they decided to do a strip search on a lot of the women, um, which was, you know, something they did all the time to women to intimidate, but that women weren't in a position to bring attention to it. And because we were a primarily white group, we were educated, we had gotten arrested on purpose, we were aware of our rights, we were activists. So we were able to bring a class action suit against the city after that that supported the fact that they had to post in all the police precincts what the laws were. They had to do sensitivity training and make sure that there weren't um, strip searches done when they weren't legally allowed. Um, so then the second one we made was called, um, I can't remember if the church stopped. The church was third, I guess, or second, I don't know. So then there was a big demonstration at St. Patrick's Cathedral, um, which I actually, I won't go into, but it, it sort of, to me, signaled a change in ACT UP because suddenly we were demanding things that wouldn't be possible, like getting the Catholic Church to be less homophobic and to distribute you know, condoms and support reproductive rights. Um, it seemed like a bigger, the other things we did, we fought for the definition for HIV and AIDS to include diseases and illnesses, symptoms that happen to women, because then that meant that the funding would go also to women, because as, as long as they were excluded, then all the funding went to <coughs> men and research for treatments to their um, illnesses. I'm curious, um, in, maybe I missed it, but I'm not sure. Uh, in the beginning, you were talking about how um, you and had, uh, some people, that you, you had these cameras, and not a lot of people had these these right. cameras. Um, I'm curious about how uh, you ended up going in this direction politically. <clears throat> For example, you had these cameras, but you could have done anything with them. Mm -hmm. You could have done, you know, just fun images or something. Uh, how did this happen, or what led you to this path? Mm -hmm. um, well, sometimes I like to say I, I wanted to communicate, and someone put a camera in my hand. Um, 
to me, the filmmaking, being a filmmaker is still sort of, I didn't know that's what I was going to do. I more wanted to bend the arc towards justice, that I wanted to be a part of creating feeling and emotions to, you know, I, I think, I don't know, do some of us just have like the artistic mind? Is that our way, you know, like I, I can't imagine studying to become a lawyer and because it really is a whole system for thinking through our existence. And I feel like the arts, um, the artistic bent of that is what kind of just came to me. I think the politics preceded, um, but I, I can't really separate them. It's so, you know, someone asked at Chavela um, about, because this is all really early work, as you can see, this is like 30 years ago, and this afternoon I'm thinking if there's moments while we're looking at other people's projects, there's a few scenes from some of my, from Chavela and Board to Fly and Dispatches from Cleveland that maybe I'll just pop up because they are different. Um, by virtue of the quality of equipment and whatnot since 30 years and just the approach. But to me, you know, that's what I was trying to say in the beginning too, because sometimes in a master class you're supposed to like, how did you end up? That's sort of the basis of the class, right? Like how did you get to do what you're doing? And I just feel like at the time I never know what I'm doing. And in hindsight I can paint this kind of line that makes it look like it all makes sense and in some ways it feels like it does but I do a lot of other you know the work in ACT UP was one part of it it wasn't just video um, but I was a, a founder of an organization called the Third Wave Fund which focused on organizing and reproductive rights for young women between 15 and 35 in the states like 8% of philanthropic funding goes to women, <coughs> women bless you women and girls um, and women and girls kind of excludes 15 to 35, you know, like it, it really almost says we fund, you know, early childhood girls. Um, and so we did that as a way and it's become, because we started it and said um, that you would age out as either a board member or a grantee or anything, that you had to go at 35, which was hard because you want the historical memory of an organization to remain so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But on the other hand, they've been the leaders in the states around trans, understanding trans, like adopting, they, from, because it's always been the youngest people who are involved. And so they do young women and trans people for, since, you know, the word was invented. Like, I was just so impressed because I try to be open-minded, but you still are, have the experience you've had. So, you know, I wouldn't have known to, to do that at the moment that they did it. And for them, it was like, well, yeah, if this is young women, it's trans people, if it's about gender, it's about all genders. And um, so I think, you know, my interaction and my work in other capacities, I started a, um, a, along the lines of Paper Tiger Television, um, a public access channel show with the young queer kids at the Hetrick Martin Institute, which is like a high school for kids who've really found it impossible to survive in the public schools. And so they have a high school for queer kids in this after school program. And um, it, they named it Bent TV. And we gave them cameras and I, you know, I was not that much older than they were at the time. And they all made these 
incredible little pieces about themselves, putting the cameras on themselves and talking about their own. So I think like realizing that it's about the, going back to Mark says, on the modes of production, having the, the camera, having the equipment, having, you know, whether you call it empowerment or whatever, it's actually just the equipment. Like if people can get access to telling their stories, the world will break open, as others have said before me. And I think that, you know, that to me is exciting. I love knowing about people and, and feeling the deepest kinds of connections. And, um, and I also think that for a lot of us, whether it's because of our experiences, in some way or another of being outsiders, it was funny to hear the other night when people were talking at the failure workshop about what made them feel like an outsider, and one was like, I don't wash my hair, that's my hair, or I don't brush my hair. Um, you know, or someone's like, I wear Laura Ashley dresses, and it makes me feel like an outsider. Like, whatever it is that brought us to that place, I think it gives us a vision, it gives us an insight that maybe other people don't have, and that we can see the value in sharing, because then other people will share their insights, too. Let me read you one um, fabulous thing that Tabitha Jackson, who is at Sundance in, in the States, she wrote called The Doc Manifesto. It's not very long, but I, I love it. Um, and maybe it'll be food for additional, after we watch Ray's tape, we'll have a few minutes to talk some more. Um, documentary film is story, not subject. And I think that goes to the issues, you know, like when we think, oh, I want to make a film about child sex trafficking. To me, that shouldn't be a film. If you meet someone whose story you can tell, who then conveys some of the issues that allows people to do more research or make connections or feel empathy or become aware or educated, then that is a reason to tell that story and the subject will come out of it. Um, documentary film is metaphor, not simile. Documentary film is the painting, not the photograph, which I love because people, I think, get very confused with documentary and act like it's the truth because it's the document, that it's objective, and it's very important from the jump to be clear that documentary film is more subjective, maybe even, than a narrative, where at least you're bearing the fact of your hand in the process. And in documentary, people sometimes try to hide their hand whether that's the editor or what gets shot or whatever. Um, documentary film is a truth, not the truth. Mm -hmm. Documentary film, I love that because you might have noticed in Pride, in the film Pride 69 to 89, at one point there's a chant that says, civil rights are the civil war. And it was really funny because I came up on one guy at one point, he was going, civil rights are the civil war. And I was like, not, not the civil war, <laughs> civil war, a civil war. Um, and they also did it, there was something about the father. It was like something, something, or my father. And I was like, not your father. Anyway, so it is a truth, not the truth. Documentary film is empathy, not sympathy. Documentary film is the question, not the answer. That's my favorite. Documentary film is the transformation, not the transaction. Documentary film is ambiguity and complexity, not certainty and simplicity. Documentary film is meaning, not explanation. And documentary film, comrades, is the condition to which all art should aspire. So I love that little manifesto. Um, because 
you can define documentary film any way you want. And then you can have all those valuable ways of understanding your production.